to Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 21. I encourage you, if you've got your Bible with you, to open it up and follow along as I read this out and keep it open through the whole time as well. Now that has really helped you engage with this story as I share with you this morning. Uh, so Acts 19, verse 21, it says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theatre, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theatre. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defence to the crowd. But when they recognised that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly." For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Uh, please join with me as we ask God for his help. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've not left us in the dark uh, without your voice, but you have spoken to us, you have revealed yourself to us in your word and in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you continue to speak to us through your word today, and we pray that you would do that, that these words that we've just heard, you would use them um, and use them to transform us and to grow us into more faithful followers of, of your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, it's a bit of a strange story, isn't it? Uh, as you read it, I wonder, did it raise lots of questions for you? For me, it did. I mean, I was thinking, why does Luke, the writer of Acts, why does he actually include this story with so much detail? Why so much attention? There's been lots of riots through the book of Acts, but most times they only get one or two little verses. For example, in Lystra, in chapter 14, it's a, it's a very dramatic scene. This mob gathers and they take Paul out of the city and they actually stone him. But all of that is only described in one verse. And also, why is God not mentioned in this story at all? And why does Paul not even get a word in? The famous apostle, the famous messenger of the good news of Jesus, he doesn't say anything in this whole story. Instead, all we get are two speeches from local citizens of Ephesus, neither of whom are followers of Jesus. One speech from the silversmith Demetrius, it leads to a riot. The other speech calms everyone down. What are we to do with it? Has it got anything to teach us? I hope today uh, we will together discover that it's actually a really helpful and relevant passage for us all these years later. Whether you're already a follower of Jesus or whether you're here today just exploring more about faith in Christ Jesus, I hope it's useful and helpful for you today. In this story in verse 23, Christianity is described as the way. It actually wasn't described as Christianity in the beginning. People referred to it as the way. And so today we're going to be looking at the way we're going to be looking at the impact of the way, the reaction against the way, and their opportunities for the way. Because 2,000 years later, the way continues, and it will continue to have an impact. It will continue to evoke a reaction, but there will continue to be opportunities for the way. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then I hope you can see today what it really means to be a part of the way. And if you are already a part of the way, then I hope it will encourage you to live confidently for Jesus today. We're going to start with the impact of the way. We're picking up the story in Acts. Every missions month, you as a church jump back into the book of Acts. It's been over many years now, uh, and you would have started there last week. Uh, at this point in Acts, we're following the story of Paul. Paul, the famous messenger of Jesus, who was sent out by Jesus with a job to do, to take this good news to people who have never heard it before. So the book of Acts is documenting the spread of this good news of Jesus. And Paul is traveling around to different areas that have never heard it before. And you've got to remember, he's breaking into new ground, places that have never been exposed to this. He's been to big cities like Athens and Corinth, big famous cities. And amazingly, the gospel has been spreading and growing. And now he's here in Ephesus. He's been here for some time. He's hired a lecture hall. For two years, he's been teaching almost every day about Jesus. And last week, we, you would have seen as well, God does some incredible supernatural miracles through Paul as well. And the word of God has been spreading widely and growing in power. And then in verse 23, we, we read about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Demetrius, the leading silversmith of the city, in verse 25, gathers all the workmen and similar trades. It's like a, a, a silversmith union meeting. And he says, men, 
you know that from this business we have our wealth. I can imagine there's like an economic report on the ABC News and uh, they, they cut to the scene straight after they finished the meeting and there's an interview with Demetrius and they say, Demetrius, you've, you've just met with the guild, can you tell us what's going on? And Demetrius says, well, there's, our whole industry is in danger. We've looked at the figures and actually the sales of silver shrines and idols are down. Job cuts are on the way. And the interviewer might say, well, what's the, what's the cause of this economic downturn? What's the threat, Demetrius? And Demetrius is very clear. He says, it's Paul. In verse 26, he says, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. We don't get to hear Paul directly in this passage but we get to still hear his words paraphrased from the lips of Demetrius, and we see a little bit of what Paul's message was. He says, God's made by hands are not God's. Now, it's a lot more than that. Jump back to, not now, but later on, go back to Acts 17, and you can read the way that he preaches to, in the city of Athens. It's a full picture of his message. Um, but Demetrius's problem here is with Paul's message. It's not with his methods. It's not the fact that he's hired a lecture hall and he's teaching but he has a fundamental problem with Paul's message. Christianity is a personal faith, but it's not a private faith. It's a personal, but it's not a private faith. And I wonder if that's why it's referred to as the way here, because it's actually a way of life. It's not just a bunch of internal beliefs that bring you personally inner peace. It actually affects everything about your lifestyle, your life choices, at this time, it's even affected the Ephesian economy. Ephesus at this time was a very, very important city. It was known as the mother city of Asia Minor, of that whole region. It was a trading center. It was a seaport. There was lots of money going back and forth. It was a commercial center, but it was also full of religion. Uh, the city of Ephesus was world famous as the custodians of the goddess Artemis, or known as Diana by the Romans. She was a goddess of health, of fertility. And this worship of Artemis actually dominated everything in Ephesus. Imagine every home probably had a little shrine in it. Uh, the silver coins that they used at the time even had a picture of Artemis on it. Uh, the temple dedicated to her that was in the center of the city is known as was known then and is still known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People would have traveled there from all over the world and when they arrived, you know what they would have done? They would have spent their money. They would have gone and bought a little shrine or a little statue of Artemis and taken it home with them. The way of life, the economy was all centered on Artemis. Artemis was the air they breathed. But Paul He's just been teaching daily the good news of Jesus. And as he's been doing this, as Demetrius says, large numbers of people in Ephesus have heard this message and they've turned from idols to serve the living and true God. They've changed their whole thinking, their whole way of life. They've been liberated. They've been set free. It's, it's had a huge impact. 
But in doing that, it's also threatened what many people care about most, their wallets, their profit margins. You see, for Demetrius, I hope you can see, see here, he's not actually worried about truth or arguing for truth. For Demetrius, it's about business. It's about big business. And that's the impact that the way has produced. What about us? It's, it's kind of easy to look at stories like this from a distance and think this is this kind of quaint and funny. We don't bow down to silver idols anymore, do we? We don't have temples. Uh, but make no mistake about it, idolatry is just as present today as it was back then. Because really an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. It's anything that absorbs your heart and you give your allegiance to more than God. Uh, we latch onto things, don't we? These are the things that we give our time and energy to, things that occupy our dreams and our fantasies. It could be different visions of the good human life. It could be different stories that we'd like to see ourselves living. And these things, they become our God, whether it's a conscious choice or not. These are the things that drive us, that we try to find meaning in. But Paul's message in the gospel, that instead of idols made by hands, there is a living God, a God who created us, not us, him, and a God who loves us, who loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to reveal himself to us but also to die on a cross in order to rescue us, to set us free, to set us free from slavery of idolatry, to set us free from trying to save ourselves, to set us free from worshipping and serving created things, whether it's our work or our studies, our friends, our appearance, whether it's sex or whatever or whoever, instead of having to search even within ourselves to try and find our own meaning for our lives, instead of that terrifying and sometimes overwhelming prospect of figuring out who I am, who I need to be, and knowing that it's totally up to me to figure this out, instead of that, there's actually a living God. And it's in his son Jesus where we can find true meaning, where we can find full salvation, where we can find real joy, and deep forgiveness. You see, there's a God of life who gives life to those who trust in him. But idols, they can't satisfy us. Nothing created, whether it's other things or even if it's just our own selves, is worthy of our love and devotion. The only right response when we meet the living God is to cry out, forgive us for loving and serving these created things rather than you, the giver of life. Well, a message like this was beginning to have an impact on the lives of ordinary Ephesians who had trusted in Jesus. And if you really believe it, it's got to have an impact on the idols in your life. So how is the gospel impacting you? Let's just consider two areas, two areas that maybe many of us in the room are involved in, education and work. Uh, both of these are wonderful gifts from God. He's given us brains to learn. He's given us bodies to do useful things and useful work in our lives for the good of others. But both of these things, education and work, they so easily move from us to simply seeing them as good, 
good things, good gifts from God, they move from there to being so much more important to us, to being pathways to status, pathways to recognition, to power. And so we pursue them with energy and money. We put so many hours in. Why? Because these are the things that we think will open up doors for us to future success. These are the things we're putting our hopes in. But they can never provide us what we long for. And before long, they actually bind us in their group because that's what idols do. But instead, we are to live as freed people in Christ, people who've been set free in order to worship God, in order to live for and praise the living God. So that's the impact of the way, but the impact soon turns to a reaction against the way. Demetrius at this point starts to bring some extra firepower to his argument. In verse 27, you can see he says, There is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. He's saying not only are our back pockets going to be affected, but Artemis is at risk of being dishonoured. Ephesus, like I said earlier, centred on Artemis. She was the air they breathed. She pervaded every aspect of their economy and their way of life. And so what he's saying here, Paul's message is a threat to our whole city. It's a threat to our way of life. And when the people hear this, they say in verse 28, they're filled with rage and they begin to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is incredible scene. The city turns into confusion and they, they rush together, dragging along some of Paul's companions. Uh, everyone's just get, coming out of their homes. I can just imagine this mob just running down to the stadium into the 25,000-seater stadium. That's, that's the sort of scene we're pictured here. Ephesus Stadium was 25,000. So we don't know if it was full, but there was a lot of people in there. It's packed. I don't know if anyone here has experienced a riot. Maybe it's not our everyday experience in Australia. Uh, but it's my, I, I have it myself, but I can just imagine there's bodies and there's confusion and there's anger. Your adrenaline is pumping as they're packing into this theatre. Paul, incredibly, wants to get in there and speak to them, but thankfully his disciples won't let him. Some of the other disciples won't let him. They're probably quite wise. Uh, this poor fellow, Alexander, he gets pushed to the front to speak. Uh, but when they recognise he's a Jew, uh, the crowd shouts in unison for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours. In verse 32, it said, Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. What's going on here? Um, you're probably familiar with the concept of passive smoking. That's why we got rid of smoking in public areas. It's the idea that as we... As we maybe we're not smoking ourselves, but as we are near other people who are smoking, we're breathing in the same air and it's actually having an effect on our bodies and it's actually changing our health outcomes as well. Uh, I'd like to introduce a concept of passive thinking. Uh, and I think it's a similar thing that happens. We, we tend to, we may not be thinking these things ourselves or applying our minds, but we just tend to absorb the thinking of everyone around us. Uh, we just tend to follow the social norms. It's just our human nature. Uh, everybody does this, so I do it. Everybody thinks this, so I think it. 
Everybody says these slogans. Every culture has slogans at different points, and we all need to just say those slogans as well. They become our slogans. Maybe at this time it was, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, have, you might ask them, have you really thought about it? No, but I'm going to shout it anyway. It might be about strong moral issues, or it might be things about God. There's these slogans, there's these things that other people do, and so that's what I do. People who have breathed in the culture of the day without really thinking for themselves. And so they just join in. They just join in on this big pile on. Uh, do you see what Demetrius has done here? Of all people, he should be the one that knows the most that God's made with hands are not God's. But he knew exactly how to ramp up the crowd and shut down the discussion. He wanted people to know that Paul and his message was a threat to the Ephesian dreams and visions for life and society. He's saying Paul is undermining our social stability. Paul has been un-Ephesian. Demetrius isn't interested in a discussion, in a conversation. He's not interested whether it's true or not. He's saying the way is a threat to our Ephesian dreams. I would say that more and more, the Christian faith or the way is perceived as a threat to the Australian dream. Sure, keep it to yourself, that's fine. That's not a problem. But as soon as it spills over from the private to the public, as soon as it ends up in your conversations or in your workplaces, be ready for a reaction. Because that attitude is just un-Australian. Whether we're made to feel like religious maniacs or whether we're backward thinking for believing in tooth fairies, or whether we are felt made to believe that we're promoting worldviews that are harmful to our children. Uh, it's much more common these days that, that we are seen as being un-Australian and a threat to the Australian dream. A few weeks back, you probably didn't miss it, the news was filled with seven players from a rugby league club, Manly, they're known as the Manly Seven. Uh, you, I'm sure most of you saw it in the news, it was on everything. Uh, so the club announced during the week that the players would be wearing a special pride jersey with rainbow stripes on the weekend. And, and these players, they're from different backgrounds, a lot of them have a faith in God. And so they said, oh, we can't wear that in good conscience because uh, we think the rainbow represents uh, the pride movement and a, a celebration of sexual practices that is against what we understand with the, with the Bible is consistent. And so this is conflicting with our faith in God, so we actually can't wear that. And so uh, they ended up sitting out the round. It was all over the news. I know this is a really complicated issue, actually, and I'm not actually here to analyse the whole thing. This isn't the time where we talk about what does the symbolism of the rainbow mean or what does it look like to have meaningful inclusion in our modern society. We can talk about that later. Uh, the reason I raise it is actually because of the response. Uh, you see, at no point did these players say, uh, we, we don't want to play football with people who are gay. We don't want to be friends with people who are gay. Um, but they were hauled before the national media. People were calling for them to be sacked left, right and centre. The social media was just full of it. Because people are going, how can you say, you must be anti-inclusion. How dare they? You see, to have, a, to have what many would consider a biblical sexual ethic is not just different, now it must mean you must, be, you must be a hateful person. You must be a bigot. 
And all these things can make us feel that Christianity is no longer just an option. It's actually a problem. It's a threat to our Australian dream. So we need to get faith out of the conversations and we need to get faith out of our society. Now, sometimes the church, unfortunately, has adopted the approach that Demetrius uses. And so we really mustn't do that. Sometimes the church has been backed into a corner and so they think, well, let's put on our gloves and go in for the fight as well. We mustn't be those who are all about winning the argument but fail to love the people in front of us. We're not those who who don't listen to people and their real concerns and their real experiences and their real hurts. Uh, We're not those who shout down those who we disagree with, who seek to add fuel to the fire. You see, many times those responses are driven more by the desire to keep status and power. Uh, It's it's because we actually don't, our lives, we don't want to be any more uncomfortable than they are now. Um, So we don't want to be doing exactly what Demetrius does, but neither should we stop speaking about Jesus and the hope that he offers. Maybe you've made a comment on social media or in an office maybe, something that was defending biblical Christianity or something that was highlighting the emptiness of some of the idols of our age, and you received an outpouring of opposition. And so you say, oh, I'll just take down that post and I'll never do that again. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you've seen that happen with others. Many of the tactics used are designed to close down debates, to stampede opinion and intimidate. And it can make us ask, do we really belong in the public square? And we find ourselves doing all we can to just blend in. So we don't want to be on the receiving end of all of that. Uh, We need to pray that God will give us courage to continue to publicly identify as Jesus' people. We need courage to speak up and testify to the liberating, fulfilling, joy-filled gospel for all people. This coming week, uh, QUT students from QUT Christians are are going to be doing a Why God Week. And part of the week is walking up to people on campus and talking to them about faith and God and their big questions for life. Pray for them. They're going to have a whole variety of responses and reactions. Um, But isn't it great to see uh, uni students at QUT getting out there and doing that? Because amidst all the shouting are real people, real people who are lost, who are hurting, who need the wonderful hope of our living God. And we shouldn't forget that. Our last point is that there will continue to be opportunities for the way. The last person to get a word in this big riot is a city clerk who, who somehow manages to calm the crowd down. Maybe by this two, two hours later, their voices are getting a bit hot and hoarse and tired. Um, but he does seem like a pretty cunning guy as well. In verse 35 to 36, he flatters the crowd. He says, of course you're right to be proud of the custodians of the great Artemis. Everyone knows she's chosen this city. It's undeniable. Everyone knows this. You don't need to get all hot over the, under the collar about this. In verse 37, he says, then he defends the Christians. He says, these men are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. He's saying they're not a threat to our religious, political, and social life. But then he goes on to say, but we are. In verse 40, he says, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. You see, Ephesus as a city was under the Roman Empire rule. 
And the Romans had already intervened twice in Ephesus for, another, for two other uprisings. And so the last thing this city clerk wanted was another squadron of Roman soldiers knocking on the door a third time. He's saying, if you have an issue, there are appropriate legal channels for action against Paul. There's been lots of noise, there's been lots of sore throats at the end of it, but what are we left with? We're actually left with an opportunity for the way. The city clerk has left the door open. You know, the message of Jesus, while having an impact on the idols of our day, is actually not anti-society. I think that's what Luke is trying to show us through Acts as well. It's not against the common good for all people. And Paul actually then has many opportunities over the rest of Acts to defend the way in the courts, all the way up to Rome. And the word of God continues to spread widely through all this time. God will continue to give opportunities for his life-saving message to be heard and believed. We don't need to have power. We don't need to be liked or to be seen as fashionable. We don't need to change the message of Jesus to be more palatable. The way will continue to have an impact. Paul, right until his dying breath, was convinced that God would continue to give opportunities for the gospel to be heard and received. Later in life, he writes to the Ephesians, and he's actually writing from prison in Rome. In Ephesians chapter 6, from verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul, he knows this battle wasn't, is never with Demetrius and people like that. He's a spiritual dimension to this battle. And so what's the solution? Well, he says a little bit later on in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Even in prison, he's expectantly praying that God will give opportunities to witness for him. There is nothing that people more desperately need to hear than this message of Jesus. Uh, the great temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Do you, do you know what's left of it now? You can look it up later on your phone. There's, a, there's only one column left. And even that one has been stacked back together by some archaeologists. The photo I saw even has a bird's nest on top with a bird kind of sitting on it. Uh, that's all that was left of a dominant or pervasive way of viewing the world, the air of Artemis. At the time, for these first followers of Jesus, the pressure would have felt immense. It would have been so impressive. It would have felt like it had so much more momentum than the way. And whatever age we live in, we can feel like there are such powers against us. We can feel so intimidated, so scared to stand out. There's massive influences on us. There's a tide swell of public opinion against us, and that's probably going to increase. You see, none of that will last. If this world goes on for a while yet, we don't know how long it's going to be, uh, I can guarantee that people in days to come will say, oh yeah, they, back in Australia in 2022, they used to believe this. 
but only one thing will last. And that's Jesus, the way, the truth. And the way has continued to transform people's lives for the last 2,000 years all over the world, in every corner of the world, in every culture of the world. It's a message that will continue to change people's lives radically and wonderfully. And that will be a powerful witness to the world of lives being changed as people are being set free to live for something different. So let people see it in your life. Let people hear it from your lips. This doesn't feel maybe significant in the side of Brisbane, but actually this is a wonderful testimony what's happening here to the way and the way that God is continuing to work in your lives. So there's the impact of the way. The good news of Jesus will continue to liberate people from the bondage of idolatry. There's the reaction to the way. But we can be confident in the face of that reaction and even when we feel terrified, when we feel scared, because there will continue to be opportunities for the way. Once the shouting has stopped, we can keep speaking for Jesus. So let's do that together. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have set us free from living for created things to know you, the living God, and your Son who has come to set us free and to bring us life. And we pray uh, that we will continue to see this gospel bearing an impact in the lives of our friends and family and our city and the world. Uh, please keep doing that great work. And we, Lord, we also pray that you would help us to be confident uh, in the reaction against the way. Help us to be loving but bold as we continue to point to Jesus and share the hope that is found in him. And thank you that we can also be confident that you will continue to give opportunities for the way. So help us to keep speaking, uh, to keep loving, and to keep um, doing all of this in your strength alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.